1: Welcome to For the Love of Wine on Fresh FM. I'm your host, Kirsten Rodzgaard, and today I'm joined by Martin Kainley of Planet Wines in Auckland. Welcome, Martin. Lovely to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, Kirsten. I'm looking forward to having a bit of fun with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, let's establish what exactly is Planet Wines.
0: Planet Wine was established in 2003 and... Basically, it's an excuse for me to travel around the world, <laughs> um, and then it's evolved. Yeah, that's a long time ago now, and it's evolved. So basically, I import wine from and spirits from fifteen different countries around the world, and always looking to add interesting products. And um, yeah, and then a wholesale. The main main uh, business is wholesale, so selling to fine wine stores around New Zealand and. The main part of my business would be selling to the better restaurants around the country as well.
1: Yeah, and what's the exact philosophy behind your company?
0: I I think the most important thing is that I'm uh, I'm a brand builder, and we may go into that a bit later. Why I am a brand builder? Mm-hmm. So that means having a longer term um, okay. vision of relationships with suppliers and customers. And a, not a trading philosophy. It's very much about a brand building. So I'm not into discounting. There's no need to discount. I'm not chasing a sale. For me, it's about showing wines to people, telling the story of the winery and them understanding the quality and the sort of the heritage and the support and passion from the producer. And then hopefully people love those wines see the value in them and believe that they are significantly different to what else is on the market. So they support those over time.
1: Yeah, You've already covered it a little bit, but uh, when you established Planet Wine, you kind of described it like, we travel around the world to discover great wines, great people, great stories. We cannot help ourselves and also import small lots of spirits, liquors, uh, olive oil and beers. Now it really sounds like quite the lifestyle. Yeah,
0: you could imagine the last couple of years have not Sort of quite, quite being sure, sure, um, been but before that. with what I'd like to do, of course, I, I would usually spend three or four months a year overseas. And my friends are always saying, "Oh, how was your holiday?" And <laughs> they don't realise that spending you know uh, weeks and weeks and weeks travelling from one place to another place to another hotel or B and B, and in a suitcase, out of a suitcase, and then seeing two or three wineries a day—it's it's fun, but it's also hard work.
1: Yeah, it's like being a travel journalist or a tour guide. In a
0: way, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It does sound fun, though, but it also it, sounds expensive.
0: Um, well, I mean, your your flights. you know, I fly economy class. I'm I'm not the sort of high-flying sort of dude. Once in a while I get upgraded, which is great. But I find it really easy to sleep on a plane. So I just watch a few movies and I just sleep and I arrive on the other side. And then... Because I've built up these relationships with so many of my suppliers, quite often I would actually stay with these suppliers. Ah, right. And then travel, you know, travel within Europe is relatively cheap if you sort of know what you're doing, I think. You know, cheaper airlines or, you know, or renting a car. In the end, it's not that expensive.
1: No, okay. Now, so when you're away, surely there must be others looking after Planet Wine in New Zealand. So how big is your team?
0: Um... Well, I have a couple of commissioned salespeople. Somebody, um, Janine, um, who, who has a company called Invisible. She's based in Wellington. <laughs> and then there's Gerard, um, who has a uh, company called Jacket Beverages. He's based in Cambridge. Um, and that's it, really. I, um, and then when I'm overseas, strangely, I can actually look after everything as well. It's fairly well-organized. Um, I work through zero and so yes, sometimes I will have to get up at four or five in the morning to place orders or to get orders done. Sure. But then I have a 3PL warehouse where they would receive the order, they would pick it and they send it out.
1: Right. Okay. So you mentioned that you import from 15 different countries. Yes. Um, what countries would they typically be?
0: We look at South America, it's uh, Chile, Argentina, Peru and Uruguay. Mm -hmm. then the US and then in Europe it will be going from the left to the right so Portugal Spain France Italy Um, I have some German products um, but I get those by another country and then I have Australia have some New Zealand wine and then I import from Georgia as well
1: Georgia wow that's a different region Um, what's special about their wines
0: uh, two things, most probably. One is that they've been the country that's made wine for the longest, for about 8,000 years. So they've been making wine continu- continually for 8,000 years. Mm-hmm. And then the other <clears throat> big difference is, not all their wines are made this way, is that they have amphora as fermentation vessels, mm. anything from maybe 200 to two or 3,000 litres in size, but they bury them in the ground. Wow. So all you have when you walk into a winery, for example, you would just have all these holes <laughs> in the ground. Right. And, yeah, you know, so they quite often they foot press the grapes and then they uh, fill them into these tanks and they bubble away in there and then they just pump them out again. So a couple of things. One is space saving is obviously very good. Then the other one is um, temperature control, given that they're in the ground. And then security as well. So there's actually three advantages.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. and um, what are they typically famous for, red or white?
0: Um, they have mainly white grape varieties, but they have about 600 of their own grape varieties. Mm. So I'll just read a, a couple of them. One would be Kisi, Chinuri, Katsitelli, Saperavi, Vani, they're all these different wonderful, <laughs> wonderful That none nat- of us
1: have ever heard about.
0: Yeah, which are qu- initially quite hard to pronounce. And a lot of their wines, especially the white wines, are skin contact wines as well. Mm-hmm. But like the natural wines uh, that have been you know, coming up in the world in the last three, four, five, six years, mm-hmm. a lot of the whites um, are, are left on the skins for a week or even two weeks which then, you know, makes quite a different white wine compared to what we, let's say, make out of Marlborough. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. so are they
1: easy to sell here? Is it easy to convince uh, (laughs) consumers, you must try these wines?
0: Um, I I tend to deal with more with the wholesale side, so restaurant managers, sommeliers, and wine shop owners, and it's really up to them, you know, to to be convinced about the wines and then on-sell it or promote them to their customers. I do a little bit of online sales through planet Wine as well, and people who are in the wine industry wine interested, they would be looking around they'd be aware of Georgian wines. and then you know they'll look around and they may find planet Wine and then yeah you know, we'll go from there. I actually had a there's a Pacifica building, which is a residential building in downtown Auckland, mm-hmm. and they just create a little wine club and I got an email from the guy yesterday saying, hey, uh, do you have any Georgian wines? And we'd love to do a Georgian wine tasting. So that's how it starts.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then you go and present. Now, um, when you um, travel around, etc., tra- how do you actually choose who you want to represent? How do you find the different wineries?
0: <coughs> I do a reasonable amount of reading um, through different media Uh, online through wine magazines etc etc and something may pique my interest but also on a weekly basis I would get at least 20 or 30 emails from different wineries around the world Mm -hmm. who are looking for distribution in New Zealand. So the sort of process I go through is someone has actually looked at my website and says hey dear Martin I've noticed that you don't have a winery from our region in your portfolio, then immediately I think, okay, you've done your research. Yeah. You've put a bit of effort into this. If it's just a general email that you can see it's just gone off to 1,000 people, I just delete it immediately. Okay.
1: <laughs> but if it's personalized, it's worth having a look. So, oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a respect thing as well. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah.
1: So do you ever say no to someone, or has anyone ever said no to you being interested in representing them?
0: Um, I, uh, often I say no. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I also um, cancel a, a, a relationship, mm-hmm. which I haven't done that often, but I've done a couple of times in the last couple of years, and I, I think I'm about to do it again um, quite soon, and that's generally because it has to do with a relationship. Yeah, you know, the products haven't changed. It's the reason that I brought them in initially, mm-hmm. so the products would be good. However, if something changes in the relationship, either new people or just something's happened in the relationship where I think, hey, this is not why, I'm, you know, I'm not chasing millions and millions of dollars. I'm chasing a lifestyle of getting on really well with my suppliers and my customers, and that's really important to me.
1: Yeah. So have, um, have a lot of them actually been to New Zealand?
0: That's the challenge. Uh, we're so far away that I can count on one hand the number of wineries who've actually been to New Zealand or winemakers.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, sadly. Yeah, uh, exactly. So that that makes the job that much harder. Yeah, it's much easier. If, <coughs> if, for example, I got a group of South African winemakers to come for a week to New Zealand and to do a tour around New Zealand, a South African wine tour around New Zealand, all of a sudden... South African wine sales would grow quite dramatically, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's funny how it One cooks. day. One yeah. day. So other than the import and distribution business, you also have a physical wine shop in the heart of Auckland in O'Connell Street retailing wine, beer, and spirits. Tell me about
0: that. Oh, wow. Okay. So I dabbled in a wine shop uh, in Auckland in Ponsonby, in around 2001, 2002, mm-hmm. when I was sort of between jobs and with a couple of other wine people whom I knew, and while I I really loved the concept of a wine shop, um, I think that one was a little bit ahead of its time at that stage. And In what way? Uh, in terms of not dump stacking um, wine on the floor with cheap price points, etc., etc., was It was more in the philosophy of Planet Wine, much more about brand building, inviting people into a beautiful space. There was a couch in there, there was a feature wall with a painting, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. So it was more about starting a relationship like that. But I quickly noticed that also I didn't, I was not the type of person who would love to stand in a wine shop, sorry, for five or six days a week, doing retail five or six days a week. That was not who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, so yep, yeah. and so that's after about a year and a half we said, that nah, too hard and then about two and a half years ago I was approached by a, um, a young wine person whom I'd met through a few <clears throat> wine events, etc and he said, hey, we should do this pop-up uh, wine shop and I said, "Well, oh, pop-up's really too hard if anything, we should just do a wine shop <laughs> and at that stage, you know, there was well, even now, other than, you know, Cannes, Wines and Spirits in the city, there's other than maybe Glengarry, Vic, Vic Park, there's, there aren't really any good wine shops in the city. Um, so we said, well, that's where we have to be. We have to be in downtown Auckland. And then two and a half years ago, we started that July, 2000 whatever that was, 2019. And sadly he left um, for another supposedly better job, job offer in, uh, I think it was March, Uh, 2020 just as we went into lockdown right so since then it's been uh, yeah it's been Khans and it's been me and I've got uh, an amazing Spanish wine guy uh, running the shop most of the time Mm -hmm. and Miguel uh, Frascione, who used to be at Accent on Wine up in Parnell so many people may know him yeah he's a real he's a real wine guy he loves being in retail his knowledge of wine is incredible. And uh, yes, yeah, so I've been very lucky uh, to get him on board.
1: Yeah. So it's a it's a very special type of wine shop you have. But, but you know, and in New Zealand, a lot of wine drinkers, they, of course, enjoy New Zealand wine. So I'm wondering, for the average consumer that would come into your shop, how uh, different or how um, difficult is it to actually convince them to try different wines?
0: Oh, okay. So... The two businesses are separate. So, Planted Wine and the shop are different kinds of different businesses. Yeah, so and I'm, I'm
1: talking about the retail side, the, the wine yes. shop, you know.
0: Yeah, but so while there are some Planted Wine products in the shop, we have a lot of products from other suppliers, like you know, we would have Martinborough well covered yeah, with Atarangi and Dry River. Right, and, so. Okay. And, and Pancaro and various other brands. Waiheke is relatively well covered. Um, we've got central and obviously and the White Pariah, and we have so everything's covered where wherever we see we need to have a presence but then what we have we have obviously the Georgian wines we have a really good Greek and Lebanese wine collection we have Portuguese mm-hmm. wines obviously all the South Africa, um, South African wines the biggest South African section now, I suppose anybody in the country has um, yeah and so that's and then we have an amazing range of gins about 80 or hundred different gins
1: Gosh, have you and tried them was, all?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we also have a, what we call the wall of whiskey. So we have, I don't know, at least 100, 200, 300 different whiskies in the shop wow. as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, those things are big, uh, big sellers nowadays. Now, um, Martin, to be an importer of wine and spirits, it's not just that easy because it's not like you just pick up the phone and say, hey, can you just send me two pallets of this and this <clears> and that? So, Because there are quite a few challenges, from what I understand, to bring the goods into New Zealand.
0: Um, it's much easier in New Zealand than I think it is in most other countries. Okay. So <clears throat> you, don't even, you don't need an importer's license. So if, if, you have a, if I have a friend, let's say, in you know, Romania, and they're happy to give me credit then I'll just say, okay, send me two pallets of wine. And then the two pallets of wine obviously I have to have a freight company that'll do that for me. But then the wine arrives. And then if I'm set up with customs, then either immediately I have to pay GST and the excise duties, or that could be um, yeah, maybe 20th of the following month. But that, that that's it, basically. Okay. So no no real
1: obstacles, but sometimes I guess you you have to pay up front for for someone to send you wine. Of
0: course, of course. With most of, I would say, with with everybody that I deal with, I would be on 90 days.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But these days, you know, 90 days used to be okay when it would take 40 days for something to get here from Europe, for example. Mm -hmm. At the moment, it can take three or four months to get here. Yeah, so and freight has time, gone up, so I guess
1: your expenses yep. are higher now as well. Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Now, in terms of having a retail shop nowadays, a lot of people, and especially during the pandemic, have been buying wine online. Yes. So there must be a challenge there, being an actual physical shop.
0: No, it's an opportunity. I think um, if you are. Again, from a branding point of view, if you are only online, I would say that there's possibly less trust. Okay. Um, Also, it's much easier, I think, to go into a shop, especially if you're a wine lover, to go into a shop and walk around the shelves and have a look at labels, have a look at different things. Rather than looking at one screen that shows you only what you've called up on a website. Mm. I would say that if you are always buying the same wine and you're buying from a supermarket or maybe fine wine delivery company or somebody like that, mm-hmm. then yeah, if you're buying the same brand, you can find and you can do some price shopping across different places. Not an issue. I totally understand it. Mm-hmm. However, when you're dealing in products that are not that readily accessible or that may be quite rare, then I think shopping in a shop um, is... Yeah, is the way
1: to go. I have to check you out next time I'm in Auckland. I promise. Yeah, definitely. Great, Martin. So let's go back and hear a little bit about your background. I understand you were born in Germany and uh, grew up in South Africa. Another, as you know, uh, as we all know, wine producing country. In fact, I think wine has been produced there since 1659 and they're very different from New Zealand wines. Can you do a short summary of what South African wine is all about?
0: Oh, that's difficult, because it's very much about, a bit like France, it's very much about regionality.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, A couple of things. One is, it's a Mediterranean climate, and while South Africa is quite a large country, um, the wine-growing region really is only extends, let's say from Cape Town, maybe three hours' drive north, 100 kilometers inland, and then maybe another... 300 kilometers to the east mm-hmm. so it's actually quite a small wine growing region and the re- the reason is as you start going inland um, there's a um, there's an escarpment so Johannesburg sits at about what is it it's about 1800 meters above sea level mm-hmm. obviously no there's no grape growing there no. but as you go up and then it gets really dry it's like a semi-desert as you go inland so yeah there's no, no real wine growing that goes on there. Um, that's one thing. because As you said, 1659 is when the first wine was made in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of old, the influences were French people, Portuguese people, and then also the styles of wine that were made uh, a long time ago, a bit like in New Zealand in the 50s and 60s, mainly fortified wines. If, um, under the name, I suppose, port and sherry, so mm-hmm. fortified wines and sweeter wines. But about 100, so South Africa is full of old wine material. So we're talking 80, 100, 120-year-old vines. So about 10 years ago, some young winemakers started and the lead person would have been Eben Saadi. They started looking around uh, for regions to grow grapes in and make wine in, mm-hmm. other than the main regions because they were getting too expensive. So he started heading up north, north to a region called Swatland. Mm-hmm. And he started finding all these different um, old vine vineyards. And basically, it wouldn't be like you fly into Marlborough and you just see kilometers and kilometers of vines. Up there, it was a farmer who was most probably farming wheat or rooibos tea or something like that. And then he may have a hectare of some grapes. And, but he wasn't really doing anything with it. So mm. in the last 10, 15 years, winemakers have been going in there and finding these amazing uh, vineyards and making incredible wine with those.
1: And do you sell some of those?
0: Yes, yes, quite a few.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: Yes, and then, sorry, you're you asking, and I'll go a little bit further into this. So yep. as you start going south in South Africa, so the southernmost tip of Africa, is, um, I think it's Cape Gullis, Is it starts getting quite cool there as well. Um, so it is a temperature thing, and there are two currents: is the Benguela Current, which comes from the South Pole, which runs up the west coast of South Africa, which is cold, obviously. So in the middle of summer, that water will be seventeen degrees. So those mm. cooling, that cooling air, has an influence on the vineyards. So warm days, cool nights, which you know, winemakers and viticulturists will tell you, are, is an amazing you combination. Know, yeah, a bit yeah, like a here, yeah. And then on the other hand, you've got the. Um, the Mozambique current which comes down from from the equator which is warm so the indian ocean side so again that's quite different and then you have all the different uh, aspects you have a lot of mountain ranges that run all along the coast of south africa so you have vineyards that are planted in yeah different aspect facing south facing north facing east etc etc and different soil types as well
1: yeah. Like we have in New Zealand, you know, our most famous grape is Sauvignon Blanc. Um, yep. Does South Africa have a most famous grape?
0: I would say yes. So, Chenin Blanc is the most grown white grape variety. The main reason for that is that uh, brandy is the biggest brown spirit in mm-hmm. South Africa. And a bit like in the Cognac region with Uni Blanc, it, it crops really well. Chenin Blanc crops really well so you get a lot of grapes and that's obviously for the brandy production that was fantastic so they got got all these grapes a lot of mass which would be fermented and then distilled into brandy and then over time what's happened is that winemakers 15 20 years ago said oh hold on we've got all this old vine material it's over cropped but why don't we just do some work with these old vines and start creating some amazing chen blanc so with the loire with we South Africa would be the top, top Chenin Blanc producing nation in the world. Mm. And on the red side, there's a big love of Cabernet and Cabernet blends. South Mm. Africa does have its own grape variety, which was created in 1929, which is called Pinotage, which is a cross between Fenceau and Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. And then given the Mediterranean climate, so more and more people are planting Syrah, Grenache, uh, Saintsor, Carignan, those sort of grape varieties wow. as well.
1: Yeah, I think Pinotage is a grape varietal a lot of people here would be familiar with. I certainly remember buying a wine that had like a coffee flavour, and I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I think that's a special type of Pinotage, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it could could have been mine. called Barista.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it was actually. Yeah, yeah. That's,
0: yeah, that's that's one of mine that I. So there's a there's a category. Pinotage has been much maligned by the winemaking world and the masters of wine, et cetera, around the world. And that's because some of the techniques were not as good as they could have been. Fermentation uh, temperatures were maybe too high. It was like a rubbery band-aid sort of smell and taste to them. But that's changed quite dramatically in the last 10, 15 years. And then also what's happened, more and more winemakers saying, hold on, one of the parents is Pinot Noir let's actually treat this more like noir. So you're getting some real lighter style, 12%, percent lighter, coloured, much more elegant um Pinotard is now as well.
1: Right. Do you still have yeah. that barista one?
0: Yes, I do. Oh, yeah. good.
1: All right. <laughs> yeah, I just so. had
0: another coloured <laughs> arrive, actually.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, Martin, yeah. let's get back to your personal journey. Uh, when yeah. and how did your interest in wine begin?
0: Um, so I... Uh, I grew up in Johannesburg. I went to a German school in Johannesburg. My parents are German, so spoke German most probably 80% of the time until I went to university in Cape Town in, uh, when was that, 1977, when I was 17. And given that I was in Cape Town, what do you do as a student? You go with your friends and you go do wine tastings, which were free in those days. And then with time, I, I just got a taste for wine. I started... I think in 1980, I started putting down a um, some 1978 red wines. And at that stage, everyone said, oh, every every even year is a really good year to put down. So I put down some 1978s, and I think I bought them for like three rand a bottle or something, as a student. And then I just got into wine, and I really enjoyed wine, but more as a consumer, not with any interest in getting into the game. Right. And then in, in I'd gone gone for my big OE, and I'd I'd worked in the motor industry, always in marketing roles. And then I thought, I was up in Johannesburg and in Pretoria, and I thought, you know what, I want to move back to Cape Town. And then my current, at that stage, girlfriend, Jane, she said, oh, I'll send your CV out to a whole lot of companies. And she did, and the only company that actually replied to me was Gilby's in Stellenbosch. And they obviously a spirits company, but also a wine company. And yeah, that that was it really. So um fairly quickly I I flew down for an interview and um what did he my the marketing director, Blackie Fanico, he's a very short interview, like five minutes <laughs> because I'd already had another interview and he said, So do you swear and do you drink? And I said yeah. Oh, um well at times I do swear and then yes I do drink and he said, Well done, you've got the job.
1: There you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. And I went basically from a from the sort of industry where you go for lunch twice uh, twice a year to um, the first two weeks of work at Gilby's, I went for lunch eight times.
1: Good lord.
0: Yeah. You have to so count the calories, then. The, yeah, those are still the days when you used to drink your products onto the market.
1: Wow. Yeah. Things
0: have changed quite dramatically since then.
1: Yeah, they have. Now, at some point, you decided it was time to travel again, and you arrived in Australia in 1993. What made you go there?
0: I left South Africa in early ninety-one. traveled around the world looking for somewhere to move to, and I wasn't really that interested in going back to Europe I spent a lot of time in Brazil, about eight and a half months in Brazil, and around South America, and thought, Yeah, the crime's too bad here, can't move here. Went to Australia, and I've got family there, and I felt, oh, this is too easy, this is great. So um, I spent six months there, went back to Europe, I applied for immigration from Germany, uh, which I thought would be easier than from South Africa, Mm -hmm. and it was, it didn't take very long. And then, yeah, emigrated to Australia and then fairly quickly found a job with Penfolds. Nice. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then uh, you were there for about five years and then you decided you wanted to move to Aotearoa, New Zealand. So what what prompted that
0: move? A couple of things. One, I never really felt at home in Australia. Yeah, I had family and my sister actually moved over from South Africa as well. But I never really felt at home. And then I came to New Zealand on a holiday and then on some work business as well. And just being welcomed at the airport, you know, Kiora, welcome and everything was like so different to what I'd experienced in Australia. And just traveling around the country, I just, I thought, wow, this is, yeah, this is more my vibe. And then I came to the end of my job with Penfolds. And then a friend of mine had moved over here, worked for Corbin's, and he said, oh, just wait a little while, but a job will be coming up. And when that happened, I flew over for a job interview with Noel Scanlon, and yeah, I got the role as marketing manager at Corbin's at, in the end of 98.
1: Wow. And you have no regrets moving here? Oh, at not at all. Not it. at all. Yeah.
0: No, no. I mean, I love visiting Australia, but I uh, much prefer living here. There's, There's just a... A kind uh, more compassionate approach I think in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, Aussie is great, it's a lot of fun but is a, a much harsher, yeah this is different, it's different.
1: Mm-hmm. I tend yeah. to agree with you. Um, so another question because I understand at some point in the early 2000s you were involved with ARA, a big wine project in Marlborough's Waihupai Valley. What was yeah, that all true. about?
0: it was really exciting. It was incredible, an incredible opportunity. So uh, because I'd worked with Damien Martin, Dr. Damien Martin, viticulturalist um, at Corbin's, when the project came up, so basically a guy called Greg Oliver purchased uh, the bank house station in the Waihopi Valley, mm-hmm. about 1,500 hectares of land. And he asked around, and he said, and then more and more people said, well, you should speak to Dr. Damien Martin. Mm -hmm. And they did. They got together, and they they agreed that this would be an amazing project to create a new sub-region for wine in Marlborough. And that was the project. And then Damien said, well, we need a marketing person involved. So um, I flew down to Hawke's Bay, where he lived at that stage, and we had a good chat. I immediately got the concept because, yeah, I love the concept. And so what we basically were looking at doing is creating wine brands that came out of this place called Ara. We would sell grapes to other companies, so they would actually help to build that place name Ara.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we actually did sell some grapes, I think, to Craggy Range many years ago. And so they actually um, made an Ara wine. mm mm-hmm. And then the other thing, so we're basically growing a region, but we're also growing our wine brands out of that.
1: Yeah, and I guess, is, is it still going, Ara?
0: Yes, it's still going. I mean, we, so I left at the end of '06, and then in '07, '08, when the big market crash happened with land values and everything, Greg Oliver basically pushed out by the Todd family. Uh, who who owned basically owned half of it at that stage, and then the Todd family sold it on. So I think Indevin, uh bought the land, and Geesen actually uh, the Geesen brothers bought the brand,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the Ara brand.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to change the subject yet again. Yes. How do you feel about climate change and what it does to the wine regions around the world, including here?
0: Uh, how do I feel? I yeah. think. Yeah, I, um, I suppose it's like everything. There's change. You you can't stop change. I think it's it's a huge threat for established wine regions. Um, I can imagine certainly wine regions who depend on a cooler climate, let's say uh, Burgundy and Champagne, and there'll be other, other regions as well. It's, it's a real threat. So the, what's really, really, really important is to maybe look at different clones of the same grape variety or start looking at different grape varieties that actually handle heat much better and drought, possibly. So a good example of that is the the guy I mentioned earlier on is Evan Mm Sardi. So about six, seven, eight years ago, he planted in front of his house in the Smartland region, he planted 30 or 40 different grape varieties from warmer climates around the world. So... I think Cyprus, Greece, um, Sicily, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then he's going through a selection process of saying, okay, these are the five or 10 grape varieties that I'm now going to plant that are going to be the old vine grape varieties in 50 or 80 years' time. So it's real looking ahead.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's it's a huge threat. And obviously it's an opportunity then as well. So let's say... Um, the southern parts of the UK you know, who are already producing very very good sparkling wine yep, yep. but in time you know um, those marginal and it could be Denmark it could be other places as well you know no, more further north in Germany is the, is the countries or regions that where the climate is currently still too cool to produce wine on a regular basis they could be the new wine regions.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now, it'll be interesting to, to see what's happening, even though climate change, per se, is a very scary thing.
0: It is. No, yeah. uh, totally it is, obviously. Yeah. And on on food production and, you know, um, yeah, on people's health, uh, just everything. Yeah, yeah. It is scary, and it's accelerating. Mm-hmm.
1: Lastly, with the borders opening up here in Aotearoa towards mm-hmm. the world again, do you already have a trip planned?
0: <laughs> I have so many trips planned in my head already definitely um one would be to south africa to see my mom and my brother and then my friends Mm -hmm. and my suppliers and then another one would definitely be europe i have so many um yeah so many current suppliers but also new suppliers i'd like to go and visit in europe and then maybe a little trip over like a uh, 10 day trip over to tasmania right
1: on that note martin Kimbley of Planet Wine. It's been such a pleasure ch- chatting with you. I think we could have continued another hour. So thank you so oh, much for sharing easy, your yes. stories with me and our listeners here on Fresh FM. Thank you.
0: Beautiful. Kirsten, thank you for the opportunity. It's been fun. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access media station with support from New Zealand On air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.